Welcome to the Executive Security Podcast, where we talk to CISOs and other leaders in cybersecurity about a career in this industry, specifically how to get into it and how to advance. My name is Gene Fay, the CEO of ThreadX, an API and application security company, and the host of the Executive Security Podcast. Today, we're joined by Sam Carey, CISO at Zscaler. Sam, how are you today? Doing well, Gene. Good to be here, and thanks for having me. Well, thank you. Uh, excited to our listeners to hear uh, from you. Uh, Sam and I worked together at RSA a while ago. Yeah, a long time now. Yeah, it was. Absolutely. 17, 18 years ago. But uh, great to have you on the show and really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk with us. So maybe you could just start with a little bit of kind of the, the background story. You know, Tell us a little bit about your journey in cybersecurity and how you became a CISO and equally about Zscaler for our listeners that are new to the industry. Maybe they don't know about the fantastic company that Jay and uh, everybody there at the Zscaler has built over the years. I'd be happy to. So uh, we'll start with with my journey, which I think is uh, less grand than that of Zscaler. And then we'll, <laughs> we'll talk a bit about what the company is and, and what Jay has built, which is really magnificent. So... I never intended to be in cyber because, first of all, that name didn't exist when I started like 30 years ago. Right. My background was in like physics and linguistics. And then I did it. And believe it or not, I did an English degree, which is really weird with a minor in philosophy. My master's that I did much more recently was in counterterrorism. I I thought that would be really cool to do. But I started by doing signals intelligence. And then I went back to school. And then I did documentation. And then I got pulled into QA and engineering in no time. And I originally wanted to go into biotech. So I called a friend of mine. His brother was an investor. Please don't hold this against me, but I was originally Canadian. So <laughs> I was born in Montreal. And I was down here. And I went to UMass for my second degree. And I called him up. And, and his brother was in, an investor uh, with TD Bank back then. He was looking at biotech. And I said, hey, does, does your brother have anything cool going into biotech? He said, no, I'm doing a security company. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. He said, well, come up and work for me for a bit. So I did the documentation. Within about three or four months, I was contributing on the tech side again. We wound up selling that. We, we, were, we accidentally invented the personal firewall. We sold to McAfee. I moved to Silicon Valley, and there was no turning back. Yeah. And of course, that journey led me to CA, which it was actually really good for me. Yeah. I know there's horror stories about it, but it was a really good place. I met some amazing people. And then RSA and RSA Labs. How long were you at RSA for? Seven years. Wow. So I started running right. product, yeah. and then... By various turns, uh, supported the field very briefly, and then CTO, and of course we had our breach, ugh, and RSA Labs, which was associated with MIT in those days. And then I left in 2014. I went very briefly to MicroStrategy, Arbor, most recently Cyber Reason, and then Zscaler. So oh, you also asked about Zscaler. Yeah. So we say zero zero trust a lot, but rather than the challenge of how do you connect networks, and then just you know, because most of IT has been about how do you make things connect and. You know, what do we do whenever there's a problem? We try to ping, right? You're like, hey, does it reboot it? Okay, it rebooted, cool. Now, can you connect it? Rather than do that, we say, what if you only allowed the connections that were required by the business? And that key word is only, meaning it's not just about flat networks and letting everybody see everything. So you get some immediate benefits. Of course, things get cheaper and performance gets better. But critically, you have a lot less risk. It's harder to find targets. Lateral movement goes away. It really does change the attack topography, and that is resonating with customers. So I looked around, and I personally only make bets on things that I think are going to change the attack landscape, because I think the attackers, look, they've been getting better at a scary rate for longer than, yeah. than I can imagine. Yeah. Right? And we got to do something to change that equation, and that that's what I try to do. Well, that, so hopefully that was a long, rambly answer. No, that was super, that, uh, super helpful. So for our listeners, 
Zscaler is definitely a company to check out, doing really well. I've gotten to know the team over the next oh, probably four that's years. And it really is a lot of just great people over there. So that's awesome. So next question. I mean, we talk about the cyber skills gap and the need for help. And we convince everybody to go to get secondary degrees. But finding that first job just isn't that easy. You know? So what do you think we can do to try to help make it make it easier? Well, um, part of the problem is that we uninten- maybe intentionally, I'd like to say unintentionally, we make this job have to be harder than it actually is. Mm. There's a lot to know. And I realized that like, some people say, hey, how do I get to do what you do? I go, well, don't do what I did. Partly because there was no career path back in those days. Right. There was no degree for it. There was no, oh, you start here and then the map takes you there and over here. There's now more formal pathways. But I think in some ways, that's a bit misleading. It's not like you st- it's not like catching the, the subway somewhere, right? It's what we need is different ways of thinking. So diver- diversity in itself is, is a virtue. But getting people who are, and I just had this conversation with someone, people that think differently, both neurodiversity and bring other parts of the human toolkit to bear is hugely valuable because mm-hmm. our opponents are diverse by nature, right? The adversary is. Right. I was talking about buffers in memory and short-term memory. It's similar skills for writing and for giving speeches and for coding and for music and for mathematics. So why aren't we recruiting them? Mm. Right. And and very often people go, I've never considered a job in cyber. And that's because we haven't been out to ask them and show them and say this path exists for you. Right. There's a great organization Peter Sherlock is running here in the state uh, that has come out of some great work by others called CyberTrust MA here in Massachusetts. We both live in Massachusetts for those who are listening and don't know that, which is trying to both up-level cyber for municipalities and those that don't have much in the way of cyber defenses and close the gap and increase diversity. And, and Corey Thomas over at Rapid7 was originally part of his vision. So, but every state can do that. And we yeah. can all reach out. We can all, like, I make a point to mentor at least two or three people outside of my normal sphere of influence every year. I do that with universities and colleges. I worked with a woman named Chris Avarma, who's the CISO at Vodacom. Uh, she, now she was formerly with Old Mutual in South Africa to try to get more people involved. Sandra Bucanary was with ABSA. He created something called the Academy to try to get people from the communities in South Africa that have nothing to do with cyber into mm. cyber. And, and he got 300 graduates a couple of years ago, which was really a huge milestone. So there's a ton of things we can do. And, and I think we're just not that inviting a community and we could be. And then, right. and no shame meant to those who are, because a lot of people are really trying. Yeah, But Gene, yeah. I think we could do way more. Yeah, I, I agree. I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I, I know like a small company like ThreadX puts out an entry-level position and we get 4,000 applicants. But yet I talk with CISOs who go, well, you know, I can't find talent or I have so many unfilled positions. Like, it's like, okay, well, I think we as uh, practitioners owe it to the community to change things. And I've talked with Corey about it as well at Rapid7 Mm -hmm. and others. It's like, you know, we have to first make it more welcoming and then also change some of the dynamics. I know when our prep, you were talking about one of your friends or somebody was like, entry-level position, four years of experience, you know, (laughs) need not apply if you don't have that, you know? (laughs) like Yeah, I had a woman, she contacted me. She had her cyber bachelor's. She had done a co-op. She'd taken a certificate. And every entry-level job, she was not this high to take this ride. And it was totally bogus. So I called up my buddy and I'm not going to out him here. Yeah, and sure. Saying, you know, you know, this is what your, this is what your entry level job description says. He said, no, it doesn't. I'm like, yeah, it does. And I called him on and he, she got a job eventually, but it's the first rung on that ladder is too high up. And yeah. 
I think where it goes wrong, Gene, and anybody, people may, may take issue with this, and I'm fine with that. When someone gets asked to write a JD, you usually delegate it to someone close to the role, and they're like, well, I better make it look tough. Yeah, right. Because right, otherwise, am I going to be doing enough, or will someone think I've done the work? So they make it tough, right? And then who's got the time to go proofread that? And then it gets handed over to somebody in HR. No offense to people in HR, but the people in HR are not people that know the job. Yeah, they're execution. They can execute. And their job, their job is to exclude people, by the way. Right. To make the, in, they got to source stuff, but they really want to give you good quality stuff according to what you gave them. And they, and so you, you find the queue is empty because they've just been saying no to a bunch of people. They're finding reasons to say no, and they, they've got tons of them now. Something in the process is this broken, yeah. whether it's recruiting agencies or recruiters within companies in-house or the JD writing or whatever, we're not getting it right because there's yeah. a lot of people who could do the job that aren't getting into the job. And that's sad. Yeah, it is. Worse than sad, it's a tragedy. Right. I think we as practitioners, let's do a better job. And for those looking, you have to do the grind and uh, you have to ultimately connect with people like us that uh, can sometimes help to open those and doors. And call us on it. Right. You know, I mean, I, I have this personal policy for everyone who's listening and, and give it a try until I get overwhelmed. Hit <laughs> me on LinkedIn. Yeah. Seriously. It's, that's exactly what that girl did. She wrote to me and said, hey, I heard you on a, you know, on a webinar say people could reach out for help. And I'm like, yep, absolutely. Yeah. And that's how she got me. But, you know, we've got to have the doors open a bit. Worst case, we get a bit overwhelmed and you block some people that are not legit. Yeah. Exactly. You know, like, yeah. oh, you're actually secretly trying to sell me something? Yeah, exactly. Goodbye. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I, I That's mean, not like, the LinkedIn fact. LinkedIn is not a community <laughs> of trust, but I, I allow it in and then I reject the bad one. Exactly. You know? Well said. Well said. So I know you're part of the Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition. Can you explain what that is? And yeah. How it can help people ultimately get into the cybersecurity industry? Yeah. So I actually got associated with, with UMass Lowell. They did a competition and we're hosting one for the Northeast. It happens all across the country. And I'm, I'm sure it happens in other countries as well. So it's worth looking up rather than taking my word for it because I'm pretty new to it. But I was very impressed. The one that I went to was this spring, um, spring of 2023, if this is years from now. There were 15 teams competing over a weekend. And it's, it's effectively, it's beyond a tabletop. It's active. So they've, a white team has established, I think that's the term for it, has established an artificial virtual environment and you show up and you are now the blue team to defend it. And then there's a red team that is running against you. And then there are all sorts of injects that get thrown your way. And if I've screwed it up, my apologies, but it is an intense, high pressure. It is an active sport. It felt like you were going to like a three-day sporting event. Wow. And at the end of it, it's ranked and it's aggressive. The skills are like the real world. They're the same sorts of things that we put through, put our blue teams through. The same sorts of things that pen testers really do go and try and do. Everyone starts from the same position. And you can see the teams that are disciplined and that practice and have honed their craft. And they get better and better. And so just like you would expect a basketball team or a hockey right. team through the year. Yeah, they practice. They go to these regional events. And at the end, there's a nationals. And it's absolutely thrilling to see. I say kids. Many of them are adults. Right. right? I mean, it's a college. But you see these people <laughs> and women who feel like, they're much, so much younger than me in my 50s now. <laughs> and it's just awesome to see not just how how this has become its own discipline it's and, and how sportsmanlike it is, but it's awesome to see the craft and to see it so exciting to people. And employers, if you see people have done this, ask them. You'll see them light up. Mm. They're in their zone. They'll be talking about yeah. it. It builds leadership. It builds management. It builds technical skills. And the insects they get are exactly what happens in the real world. Right. It's like... 
your CEO has just asked you for this crazy report while you're managing an incident, you're not sure yet if it's do or die. And, oh, you've got to run a vulnerability report because there's an audit going on at the same time. And then suddenly, you know, it's a real incident. So what do you do? Right. You know, yeah, it's that sort of thing. Yeah. For our listeners, you know, that's a great opportunity for you to hone your skills as well as meet industry people like Sam and myself and others at these types of events. Uh, I think that's the other piece of it and equally something to highlight when interviewing. Talk about. Oh, oh yeah. Especially that gap. Right. right. If they're like, well, what have you, what have you done? You. I mean, there's not much you can say, I think, when you've got a bachelor's and you're talking to someone who's got like 20 years of experience in the industry. But if you can get to talking about something you can relate about and you can say, look, I've done some of these competitions and I know they're not the same as running through a drill when you're worried about a foreign nation state type thing. But let me tell you the kind of things we had to deal with. Now you're talking subject matter to subject matter expert and they know you're not in the same position. They know you're perhaps entry level or slightly ahead of that. Now they're evaluating you on the basis of your attitude. And it's funny because I always say you can teach skills, but you can't teach attitude, right? right. So what they want to know is what are you going to be like in the sock? What yeah. are you going to be like to work with? How yeah. are you going to work with the people, the men and women next to you? Yeah, yeah. And that's what you're giving them a chance to evaluate. So having the confidence to share what you do know rather than be like, well, that was just a university thing. No, no. It's it's a it's a big deal. Yeah, well said. So let's talk about a topic that I think is not spoken about enough, and that is uh, mental health when it comes to yeah. cybersecurity and how stressful this job could be and burnout. And what do people getting in this industry need to really th- you know think about when it comes to that side of it? Look, I don't think we talk about mental health and support, and we're awfully cavalier. Uh, a good friend of mine, Sean Cordero, and I often talk about how. A huge number of us have this wall we put up where we say, see, I've sort of got my CISO face on right now. Like I've got to have the answers and I've got to, I've got to know when really I found my most powerful was when I turned up without the answers. Mm. Uh, It builds trust when you figure it out with someone and they're part of it. That's really hard to do. Showing vulnerability is one of the hardest things, but it's also one of the things that lets you be a human being and be understood. Mm. And so... Certainly in my case, I can speak to being a man. We don't show vulnerability very much and we don't we don't share when we don't know very often. So one of the biggest things in maturing for me was getting to that point. I mean, my biggest failure, I think, as a CISO, you can look at LinkedIn and say I was there for less than eight months, was when I didn't do that. Mm. I kept trying to prove I was the smartest cyber person in the room and everybody already knew that. Yeah. That wasn't the issue. The issue was, is he a business person? Can I trust him? Mm. Does he work stuff out with me or is he trying to sell me something? Right. Like he's trying to sell me on a quick answer. How do I know it's the answer? That's what the people who don't know cyber are thinking. And so to your point about burnout, I've seen a number of statistics. Back in 2017, I saw a statistic that said the average CISO lasts about 13 months in a job. It's now a little higher. I think I've seen as high as 18 months. But now some last much longer, which means some last a lot less. So usually what my observation has been a short job, short job, long job, Mm -hmm. short job, short job, long job. And and the reason is we don't really internalize why we're succeeding. We think it's, we tell ourselves reasons like, oh, it's because I'm so good at it. And actually it's because of a bunch of things to do with the people around you and the culture that are really hard to pin down. So what do people do? Well, uh, a lot of CISOs seem to fantasize about quitting, right? They do, they're like, what are you going to do? I'm going to go raise cattle or something, right? I'm going to like, I'm sorry, raise, you know tofu or something, right? Like, this is the new direction, right? Or anything but this. The other thing that um, happens is they turn to substances. Mm-hmm. I've known several suicides in the yeah. industry. I'm sure you have too, Jim, yeah. over the years. Yeah. And uh, wonderful people. I've known people who've turned to alcohol. 
uh, certainly people that are obesity is a major issue and drugs are an issue. And right. so I've seen statistics that as high as one in four mm. have some form of substance abuse. And it's the stress, it's constant stress, no human connection, a lot of loneliness, and a lot of divorce rates, which is another indicator. So my sincere hope is that we share a lot more with each other. I know I am most, it's funny, when I started, Gene, when I was at RSA with you, it was like, I, I wouldn't share my personal life that much. It was like, it was this thing, don't bring it in the building. Right. Like, don't let them know that I'm an Uber nerd, right? Like, don't let them know that I, that I live, you know, with my brother in South Lowell kind of thing, right? And, but now what I find is the more I bring my true self, the more people want to interact with it and yeah. share their true self. Yeah. And that's a very big change. My own podcast is we try to get to the who people are and make them feel like they can share that because people want to hear it. Right. They want to know, are you like me? Yeah. And as you get towards the tail end of your career, I want people coming in to be themselves. Like, bring it, you know, don't don't leave that. I'm not going to judge you for not being professional because you've got a strange hobby or whatever. Like, right. bring it, bring that in, right? Well, I, uh, I, I think, don't know if that addresses no, it. No, I think it, that's it is. a huge subject. Yeah, it is. And I think that's something for our listeners that are new to the industry uh, we'll, we'll, you know, next question, we'll get to the positive of it, but I just to kind of tie off on this one, I think it is something that you have to go in eyes wide open, even as a vendor selling to uh, the likes of people like yourself, we as supporters uh, have to be understanding of the stress level that people are in and understand that our thing might not be the most important thing that's on your mind right now. So accept that because there's a whole bunch of other things. But uh, the last thing I'll say is, uh, you know, what I love about my job, even though the stress of cybersecurity and we protect our customers. So when we aren't perfect, it makes for tough nights and weekends. But the social interaction that I get to have with with our customers, with our potential customers and equally with our employees, I'm doing one on ones with all our employees. I just get so energized about that. And to your point, I, I don't want to just know like, hey, how are you doing coding? Like, how was your vacation? Oh, you went to Grand Teton. You were camping. Oh, that's like, you know, I think that's the part of uh, debt de-stresses me to know like, hey, there's somebody who was be able to take some time off and we're creating an environment that allows for that. Some, some of it's, I think, maturity. And and look, I'm not a young person in the industry now. Right. I'm not a visible ethnic minority. I'm not a, I'm not a woman. So I know those experiences are very different. Yeah. But speaking for myself, I want to know what those people are like as they come in. And I hope I make it a, a better place for them. But I know it's a different journey. But I'm, I'm hoping that the stress that other people and other, other experiences are under can be alleviated because I don't want anybody else going through those substance abuses and suicides yeah. and so on. Because it is, it is a tough career, but it's also a great one. Right. I mean, when you, you know, I was talking to my brother the other day and he said, I, I could have guessed you'd do something to protect people in your life. Right. right? And, yeah. and I think, you know, Gene, you too, probably, and everybody else we've worked with over the years, it's a great calling. Yeah. yeah. And I think it gets to the kind of last question here, which is, you know, what is the flip side of it? You know, what does make this a great career? And I think you, you hit on the beginning of what I think about, which is you are making a difference. Now, hey, I'm, we're not solving major, uh, we're not solving cancer, we're not doing brain surgery, but we are making a difference, right? These companies are vastly exposed. And, and as much as you've been doing it for 30 years, I've been doing it for 17 years in this industry. There's still a lot of work to be done. So I think that's the exciting part about it. You know, that's like you get up in the morning and it's always dynamic. And uh, equally, when we get it right, it's a bad day for the bad guys and a great day for us, right? <laughs> you know, when I started, it did have a cloak and dagger feel that wasn't as much at risk in pure InfoSec. Yeah. However, there obviously were when it came to like nation state security and things like that. However, more and more critical infrastructure now is like lives are 
is starting to be in the balance. But on the flip side, so if we take the FUD aside, I want us to have the ability to embrace new technology. I want us to be able to enjoy all that. You know, those old, those old like IBM videos of, hey, this is what the world could be, you know, right. education, right. medical distance, all that wonderful stuff. Absolutely. We aren't going to be able to do any of it if we don't get this right. So mm-hmm. like the embracing, I used to call it the, the human experience, having the, making the human experience as amazing as it can be by getting risk out of the way so we can embrace new technology. That's cool too. Right. So yes, protecting people, protecting lives, protecting safety. So you can experience what it is to be human and you can really stretch our wings. I can't imagine anything cooler than that. And it's becoming more true every day. Yeah. So no, that's awesome. Well, I knew it was going to be a great episode, Sam, and it definitely well, was. Thanks for having me on. No. It's great to, great to talk again. Great to reconnect. As a reminder to our listeners looking to up their cybersecurity skills, you can get one year free of content from our cybersecurity training portal, ThreadX Academy, by using the promo code podcast. ThreadX Academy covers a wide variety of cybersecurity topics. You can learn more by going to academy.threadx.com. Also check out our recent episode with Deputy CISO at HubSpot, Elisa Robinson. The episode is called Finding Opportunity in Economic Downturn. I think people are really going to like that one, especially with some of the things that are going on from the economy perspective. And finally, if you'd like to learn more about API and application security, please visit threadx.com. Sam, thank you again for your time. I know you're super busy, but you've always been generous uh, with your time. So thank you so much. Thank you, Gene.